Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming along uh, this afternoon. Um, this particular session is going to be about licensing, and I'm Kelvin Gardner. I'm managing director of the UK branch of Lima, which is the trade association for companies and individuals who operate in the licensing business. Now, Lima UK has been a supporter of Children's Media Conference for several years, and so this year we're particularly proud to add some extra support by sponsoring this particular session as an education provider. And indeed, my colleague Ryan Beard, our marketing and operations manager, produced the session, which is all about licensing. Now, I'm going to start today by having our panel introduce themselves to you so you know a little bit about who the people are who are going to share their opinions with us today. So starting with the furthest shall be the first, can I ask you, Susan, to tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background in licensing is? Uh, my name is Susan Bolsover. Um, I'm head of licensing for Kenyan Ventures, which is a team sitting in Kenyan Randomised Children's. Um, and really, our, my team's remit is the licensing out of our classic and heritage properties that we wholly own. So we own Peter Rabbit, Snowman, um, etc. So that's what I do. Hi, I'm Rob Goodchild. I'm Head of Licensing at Ardman Animations. Um, probably know Sean the Sheep, Wallace and Gromit, uh, and Morph, which are our three key properties. We look after global licensing from our offices in Bristol. I'm, I'm Natasha Dyson. Um, I've recently set up my own company as a licensing consultant, Blonde Sheep Licensing. I've uh, been in the industry 13 years, working across, uh, working with brand, with brand owners as an agent and now as a consultant. Hi, I'm Rachel Wakeley. I'm Head of Licensing for Tesco. I work across uh, food, general merchandise and clothing, selecting which licenses make it to the shop floor and take to our customers. Hi, I'm Marianne James and I'm Head of Consumer Products and Licensing for Viacom International Media Networks, at Nickelodeon UK in the main. So I actually work for and with the Nickelodeon TV channel, um, which is great because we work with all the key content that is on air and take those into licensing programmes and consumer products. Cool, thank you very much. So just to uh, emphasise that if you guys have got a question or an observation or a remark about what the panel is talking about, please feel free to chip in. We do have a roving mic, and if you can hold on for that, uh, then your, your comments will be recorded as part of the session, so thanks. Okay, let's start with something really easy. In the blurb about this particular session, the bold claim was made that this panel would explain what it takes to make a licensing hit. So please tell us what it takes. <laughs> Susan. I think if we all knew what that is, none of us would be sitting here, really, would we? Um, well, obviously, coming from a publishing company, but anyway, I think it's about content. Content is king, so I don't think you can create a successful consumer products program or licensing program if you don't have really rich content to start with. And for us, it's all about storytelling. And I think, I think really consumers see through that. I think consumers very quickly pick up on whether something's quite hollow, so there's no meaning or content behind it. So... I think it's about getting your core content right to start off with before you branch out into consumer products or live events or any other strand of licensing. You've got to get that right in the first place. Nobody else got anything to say on that? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, sometimes things come out of left field, but it's what you define a hit as well. So, you know, something can be massive and then fall off a cliff or something can be a revenue generator for 20, 30 years, depending on how you handle it and how you want to handle the property and what your... Um, what your objectives are with that property that you're that you're trying to develop. Is so, there a, is there a difference there, Rob? I mean, if let's say in our magical world that we're imagining here that we can come up with a licensing hit, uh, would the content 
to Susan's point, be different if you were looking to launch an evergreen good seller as against launching a hit fast seller quick burnout property? Would it be a different process or would it be the same process? It's difficult to say. I suppose the thing is, is that you can't always plan these things because things come from from left field or you know you may for example think that your, your property's going to be big in the UK and we've got a great example with Sean the Sheep where Indonesia suddenly went crazy something to do with Eid and suddenly we had a big licensing business in Indonesia <laughs> so not everything is not everything is planned um, so but I think the way you you look after and handle your property um, and that's probably about the partners that you choose mm. about the time that you come you want to come to market makes a difference as to whether that's going to be a, a fast burner if you like or whether it's going to be a, a longer term um, a, a longer term success or a longer term revenue generator. I actually think to Rob's point as well, the international markets, because obviously we're sitting here as quite a, a relatively UK centric panel to some extent, although we all work internationally as well, but I think for most of the audience it might be UK centric. I think it's also about how your strategy needs to change market by market. I think that's quite an important thing to remember. So you could have a, a brand that's a really big hit and everyone recognised it in the UK, but you need to change that actual strategy. Um, market by market and I think that's the really important thing to remember as well so what's a hit one place might not be another or vice versa really. Well we, yeah we, indeed companies do adapt um, material I'm trying to think it was a, I'm sure it was a Nickelodeon property a few years ago somebody will help me it was a preschool property a big hit in America something like Blue it was about a little dog Remember that one? Blues Clues. Blues Clues. It's a little bit before my time. Yours before your time, but I think it's interesting because that was a huge hit in the the US at the same time as Teletubbies. They sort of tore up the US market together. Blues uh, Blues Clues was brought to the UK and, you know, very sensibly, the Nick team anglicised it. I mean, they gave it a new presenter, British presenter, said it in a British context. But it just, despite that, it didn't click. Now, so it was before your time. So that, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? There's something that worked in another English-speaking country in a big way, even with an adaptation for British society, if you like, just didn't fire on all four cylinders. What was going on there, do you think? No, I think um, it's interesting, actually, because you, there is no way of predicting. You'll never know. And with, with some shows, um, we, so for example, the Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise, we had every historic kind of uh, franchise we knew that was going to be a hit and we invested very heavily into that when you're working on brand new content and shows there's no there's never a guarantee that it will turn into a hit and when you and for the UK market specifically where we've looked at anglicizing the content and, and putting the British voices behind it in the majority of times it does work because the audience like to hear the UK voices you know they like to feel it's part of you know a uh, of their DNA and what it's about, but it doesn't necessarily always guarantee CP hit. So what works on air doesn't necessarily always translate into a good consumer products program. But just on the point you said there, you said that you knew that Ninja Turtles was going to be, in a, going to be a hit. Okay. I mean, we did hoped. you really know <laughs> that? <laughs> we but the amount of we invested in it, we hoped that it would be a hit. Yeah, okay. but, but that comes to the other point, really, that... Uh, now we're in the 21st century, it is possible to revisit classic material and either reissue it in its original format or, in fact, remake it as you did with Ninja Turtles and, indeed, as Thunderbirds is happening this year as well. Is there a difference there? I mean, probably the confidence thing is one of them. If you're, if you're reviving a classic property, have you got a different thought process about where the licensing may go than if it's an absolute brand-new debut? I think you've always got a long-term strategy, so where you want the Consumer Products Programme to roll out to, from your year one right through to year two and beyond. So you can plan for the first year, and from our perspective, that planning process is the same, whether it's 
um, a proven or remaking of a franchise such as Turtles as to whether it is a brand new show such as Paw Patrol or, or Blaze and the, and the Monster Machines. We always look at the same criteria and work with the trade and our licensees and our retail partners in the same way. I think the difference with something like Turtles, which was a reimagining, um, was a huge investment for the acquisition of the, of the content and also obviously the movie that sat behind it. Um, I think the underlying principles for us are, are very similar. But what about the retail perspective on that, Rachel? Are you happier to have somebody come in and say, you know, we're going to revive Muffin the Mule, or do you, or do you prefer to look at stuff that's completely new? I haven't seen that new? one yet. <laughs> um, there's always time. Um, I don't think it matters. I think it's about how it captures our customers' imagination. And from my perspective, you've got to remember a customer and a consumer are different people. Mm. So quite often the consumer is the child and the customers are the adult. So they're quite often different people, and it's how it engages at both levels. Well, that make you start thinking about, uh, on the same point, though, that if, if as you say, the, the consumer is the child but the customer is the adult, then something with a history is that... Would you start by thinking that might cut through quicker? <coughs> not necessarily. I think it depends who it is. Um, I think it depends what platforms you're on. It's not just TV anymore. It's how, how are they... How's that brand integrating with their target audience, that whether that be, you know publishing content, whether it be film content, whether it be animation, whether it be online, you know, digital campaigns or whether it's, you know, a YouTube phenomenon, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. As long as it's speaking to the right people in the right way. It's not as, as formulaic as it used to be. Yeah. But let's just turn that around a little bit. And I mean uh, Susan and Natasha I know have worked in agency business. I'm not sure about Rob, you worked for agency handling third party rights. No, we occasionally we look you, after you mainly look after with stuff, Armin, but in, in, in the role of a licensing agent or consultant, that's somebody who is um, who handles all the sales and legal uh, and um, marketing of a licensing program doesn't necessarily create uh, the IP in the first place. I mean, when in, in an agency role, do you have, have you ever been able to look at something when it's first presented to you as a pilot or as a whatever else you first get and see something in it that you think this could definitely work in licensing? Seen, seen pilots when I wasn't an agent when I was working with a brand owner, but it's a similar a similar situation. You see you see the pilot, and um, yes, you can instantly tell that it's that there's an appeal. You obviously can't tell it's going to be a hit because you don't know, and that's very dependent on how much um, how much support you'll put behind that brand. But certainly, when you you can see from a pilot, however however short it is, it's how appealing it can be. Um, and I'm, I'm re- referencing really pre- the preschool age group. Um, but whether it's, it's cute characters, the, the group of characters um, that all form together in the group, the storyline behind it. So it, 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 is, it is easy to kind of see some, uh, make, a, make a decision between some another, between different, um, different shows through the pilots. But mm-hmm. again, it is a little bit of guesswork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Susan, what's your experience I, of that? I, I think one of the things as, as well is when when you see a pilot or uh, just just a very rough concept as well I think some of it is slightly gut instinct but some of it also is knowing the market in which that's going to go so I think one of the things to that you can assess I think especially as an agent when you've got a range of properties and you've got to look after lots and lots of different things I think you get a sense of whether there is competition already in the marketplace for that. or Because obviously the creators are very passionate about what they've created. And so, of course, everybody thinks it's going to be a ginormous hit and it's going to be the next whatever. And I think what you, what you get to do is sort of mediate that a, a little bit. And I think you're right. You can tell it's got appeal. You, you can't necessarily always tell whether that's 
going to end up on the shelves in Tesco's with Rachel. Do you know what I mean? So I, th- yeah. I think you've got to kind of moderate that slightly. So if you, if you, so if you can <coughs> tell then, if you can tell that it's got appeal, does that mean, can you extrapolate for that, that you could draw up a little tick list of things you've got to have in order to have appeal? I think... That, which is sort of the opposite of what you were saying earlier, which is you need high-quality content that's come from creative people. Mm. And you base it on that. I, th- I think there are certain things you can see what categories it might have yeah. appeal in. So you see a property and you immediately think whether that might work for toys or for apparel or for games or for online. Or, and I think that does depend on the content. Um, and I guess that's always the approach. I mean, even in-house, I mean, that's the approach we take if someone brings something from one of the publishing teams. We then look through that and think, well, actually, that's probably got really good appeal in, in this area or, or that. But I... I I think you can pr- you can pretty much kind of scan that out. I think from seeing the creator. And, and is it possible, Marianne? I mean, Nickelodeon is famous for doing a lot of consumer research. Is it possible to consumer research a new potential licensed property for its licensing potential? I mean, yeah, I mean, research is really key to Nickelodeon, as I'm sure it is to many kind of, of our panelists on here, in that it really does fuel and drive all many of our decisions in terms of understanding purchasing behaviours, understanding where and how kids and, and uh, parents are, are watching and consuming content. So, yeah, it's, it's really critical to us when we look at that. And it actually also informs um, when we work with our major kind of master global toy partners to actually understand if they, if, what kids actually want and influence kind of the product line that comes from that. So it's very key. So, I mean, this is an interesting point, really. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a panel in London at the, the London Book Fair ran, and it, 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 there was a, a publisher, a, an app... Um, creator and me from licensing <laughs> and I was somewhat surprised that the uh, the moderator introduced us all as representatives from three creative industries because licensing <laughs> is not normally thought about in that sense but um, it was just on the general point do you think licensing has established itself as a creative industry in 2015 and let me put that into context <laughs> <laughs> let me put that into context with you, to, to the point you were just talking about Marianne you know how much does the consumer products end of any operation, especially people creating IP like some of you guys are, get involved in moulding the content to make it fit a licensing model. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we do. I mean, obviously, you guys, when we're integrating in that sense from a Nick point of view, but, but we definitely do. I mean, when we make acquisitions from a book's point of view, if we think that there are further rights we can exploit, be that TV, be that consumer products... Um, then we do get involved. Our acquisitions publishing teams will come and say, "Do you think this has got opportunity?" And you know, we can help feed into that. Um, and, and obviously, they will go off and then create the book, and it'll all be great. But they're always mindful of how that content might translate. So, if we do take it into TV or something like that, then definitely we we do get involved no, in that. I think the two very much go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, as consumer products and talking from a TV net- network point of view, we always get involved very early on in the um, initial pitch process to understand is the scalability for CP and for licensing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's an either or anymore. I think it's both combined. Okay. I think to take that as well, Kevin, on to are we creative as an industry? I think we're more creative than we think we are. Mm. In that we we are constantly looking for creative ways to take something that our consumers are passionate about into their homes and into their extended lives. So whether that's taking a TV program that they love into a product they can then inter- uh, interact with or you know respond with, or whether that's you know reading material to, mm. to broaden their educa- educational content, whatever that looks like, we're constantly thinking like that. So perhaps 
when you say creative, I don't think we necessarily reinvent the wheel, but I think no, we're no. quite creative in the way we <laughs> deliver it and a change. That's why creative. But here, here's an interesting comment. There's an article in the June issue of uh, Kids Screen all about um, the current state of retail and merchandising, and there's one quote here from a retail consultant, Car Carol Speakerman, who says, if we could just read this briefly, from a retail perspective. Speakerman says the biggest opportunity will be in content creation and distribution and marrying this with great products and experiences. And here's the key point. She believes kids' entertainment companies should see retailers not just as places that sell licensed products, but as media platforms that can generate exponential reach and awareness for their properties. So would you, could you see Tesco as a media platform in that sense? <laughs> I think we have elements of media platforms. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a website is not just a click and buy facility anymore. It's about engaging customers while they're on there, making their shopping journey easier. If that's through content visibility before you buy a product, mm. perhaps. But you know, is it showing a bit of a film before you link the mm. product? Is it about showing someone what a product can do before they take it out of a box or mm. order it? Then mm. yeah. Um, remember, as so well, retailers aren't you know just bricks and mortar. Um, you know, Tesco is a discovery app where we can take 3D content and bring it to life while you're shopping a store, whether that's Blinkbox media streaming. There's, there's, multi there's a multiple mm. different options. Um, we can even take footage to the shop shelf. You know, anything's possible. <laughs> well, in fact, I mean, Disney are starting to describe uh, consumer products as content and so mm. in the sense that it's, it is, as it always has been, further exposure for the core mm. IP, wherever that comes from. Mm. But I guess as the retail uh, place, whether it's online or in-store, uh, becomes more part of your entertainment process, those things are going to get closer all the time, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I think they are. They don't work without each other, I think. Yeah. I think one, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think Amazon are probably the best example of a content mm. provider that's a retailer. You know, retailer first, and now Amazon, are, uh, you know, even though they don't really have any bricks and mortar, they are the ultimate, you know, and if they can work it in the right way, they're the ultimate way that you can create content and you can sell merchandise as well. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, with the traditional bricks and mortars like, like Tesco, Argos, etc., their business models are to sell product off-shelf, and that's, mm. that's kind of the, the bulk of it. And I know Tesco, the Blinkbox, and other retailers have experimented with content, but if it's not your day job, then it's more difficult to do because I think it's, it then um, you've got to try and change your business model and then you're not, maybe not focusing on the most important thing, which is, is shifting, shifting boxes. Mm. I think the thing is as well that content, content creation, consumer products, retouch, I think they're getting much closer together as to one thing. It used to be someone would bring a concept, they'd create it in its core form, so they create a film, a TV programme, a book, whatever it is, and then that get passed on to the licensing people and they were sort of given this, here this thing is, it's already been fully formed, you now must go off and licence it. Mm -hmm. And we'd go off and do that and then the people who made the products would go to the retail and go, this is what you must buy. And I think that chain in that linear fashion does not exist anymore. Um, and I think some of That's that is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's your business model you need to look at. Yeah. But I, I think it is, hence the consumer products getting much more integrated into actually content creation at the very beginning and, and equally I think trying to learn from some of what consumers are actually coming to the to the shop for and, and you must hear well that's great but can't we have more of X and I think that's that gets passed back up the chain so I think it's it's more of a circle than a line as it were anymore I think yeah, I for think me. as well it's reacting to not what can be done or what should be done it's mm. how customers want to interact mm. with it and if when they're doing their food shop and they want to consume content then that's 
that what we should react to. It shouldn't be a model of what we can do. It's about how customers want to engage. Mm. Yeah, and whichever probably, retailer yeah. that is. It's probably it needed to be a circle for a lot longer than it has been yes. a circle. <laughs> Certainly in my <laughs> early days in the industry, there was a real disconnect between the creative people who made content, which we were just talking about TV and movies then, uh, and us grubby individuals who wanted to turn it into boxes to sell in, in shops, for instance. But uh, so it's probably needed to be a circle. So it's probably good if it has been, if it has come through to that. But I mean, we, we've again, we've we've really talked about TV, but this, this applies to the other digital world now. Again, the, the big change in uh, the business for all these guys here, and indeed everybody in licensing, is that you know up to about maybe about five or six years ago. You, you were either, if, if you weren't a sport, you were either a movie or you were a TV show of some kind if you wanted any type of success in licensing, but the digital platform explosion has, has meant that no longer mm. applies. So any, are the similar rules, is it the same thing we're talking about if it's an app or a website in terms of how that can transform itself into a licensing program? Is it the same? Is there, are there differences? Yeah, if you, you look at something like Minecraft, you know, that is born entirely on digital content and the way children interact with it and how it's then become more whether that be book mm. apparel you know physical toys in boxes it doesn't matter where it's born from you know you, you talk you talked a while back about blues clues back in i think it was 2001 um i was a child obviously um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know and how, how kids those days you know watch telly in their you know very kind of formulaic fashion now YouTube has made the world a lot smaller, mm. digital content's made the world a lot smaller, access to different countries and different, I guess, brands, media, is completely different. Mm. At the end of the day, it's all about eyeballs, though, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Whatever exactly. platform it's on, yeah. it's the conversion rate of the amount of people who are watching mm. or, or, or you're playing the game or whatever into how many are then going to go and buy a, buy a consumer product from it. So it's, uh, I think that's our biggest challenge, isn't it? As media gets fragmented from a licensing point of view, how do you latch on to, to that? So what, what we've seen is that proliferation of, of content and platform and how do we then harness that to, to kind of create, widen that experience through product because you're right, again, that, that line doesn't exist. There's lots and lots of ways in which content can come in. Think the other way around. Look at what Lego have just done with Lego Movie. Mm. You know, the world's biggest tyre manufacturer is Lego. You know, it came from bricks of kids building mm -hmm. their own construction which yeah. was you know one of the biggest movies fact, of last I, I, think, year. I think lego is a particularly interesting yeah. example of how um media platforms and licensing sort of complement each other in a circle because mm -hmm. you can you can go through um if you look at what lego was 20 years ago you know a pile of plastic bricks it's hard to imagine a lego movie from a pile of plastic <laughs> bricks but if you then trace the fact that they they've they got involved in licensing a bit with things mm -hmm. like harry potter and star wars by getting involved in licensing, they started creating the mini figurines. Mm -hmm. The mini figurines then became the basis for best-selling video game versions of things like Star Wars and Harry mm -hmm. Potter Lego. And once you've got there, then you can then take the next leap to put those video game creations onto a movie, mm -hmm. which in itself can then have a licensing program. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that really is one of those circles in, in action, isn't it, in mm -hmm. that sense? I think Lego is one of the biggest brands that everybody forgets, to be honest with yeah. you, because it's almost so ingrained in our everyday <laughs> You know, in everything that goes on, but it's absolutely huge. It's the number one toy brand. It's the, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge, and it's, it's so successful. And the way they've done it, I think, is, you know, what they've managed to do as well, which I think is great, is they've made properties such as uh, Star Wars and, and mm. Marvel. They've made them accessible to a younger audience, which, you know, they couldn't get there otherwise, but they get there through Lego. And I think that's really very smart. They've done. Wish I thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 interesting as well. Of course, Lego is the historic and famous construction toy in Minecraft. 
effectively a yeah. digital uh, construction toy. Mm -hmm. The big difference, I suppose, is that Minecraft, the content is created by the users rather than by the... Uh, uh, rather than by the, 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 the inventors of the game themselves. And in fact, that for a long time, that was felt that that would mitigate against licensing for mm. Minecraft because there wasn't like a real core of, of IP imagery that you could use in a licensing program. But it's worked. And, and also another parallel with LEGO is neither of them, um, in inverted commas, have a licensing policy in the sense that mm. LEGO's is very restrictive. <laughs> and Minecraft, there isn't really one, but sometimes they say, go on then. Yeah. <laughs> in that way. But that's been a hit for you installed Minecraft, I take it then, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. Um, as much as you can get of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it is. And, and I, I don't even disagree that, that they're actually any different. I think LEGO create bricks that kids then make into something. Minecraft provides a platform that allows kids to build. They're actually no different, really. Um, they're just in different places. It's the same type of activity, yeah, just exactly in a different same. sort of yeah. medium. In that I think one of the things Rachel said is when you can get hold of it, and I think that's also quite an interesting one because you have properties that, again, you probably think can be quite difficult to license, like Minecraft, because it's user generated content, and then it explodes, and then you run into that problem of now everybody wants it, but nobody spotted it. So you then have yeah. that rush to try and work out how to fill a demand that's probably coming from consumers and isn't really being driven by the content providers then mm. and that that happens yeah, quite yeah. quite a lot and as so, well you know so different content providers are looking for different things and you know certainly i'm pretty sure the guys at mojang wouldn't mind me saying in the slightest that's not key for them driving consumer products in their home range is not key you know they're about a digital platform and about building the game mm. um and that's the key message for them yeah. So, so it's again, shame. that's a very that, Mojang. It is a huge phenomenon, both digitally and, of course, in merchandise now. But again, it's another example. In the same article I was referring to, there was some debate about, you know, with the current state of the market, with Disney having seven of the top ten licensed properties. How does anybody smaller than Disney? And let's face it, we're all smaller than Disney. <laughs> no, we've got something up, President. How do, how do you cut through? How do you how do you have any chance of success? If one of these guys in the room here brought you a fabulous new. Uh, app or fabulous new animation independently produced you believed in it, you thought it would work what do you do Marianne to cut through that and get, get some well, space for yourself well, I think firstly we're, we're never going to try and compete with Disney so we're very kind of realistic and accepting of that um, and equally we've got confidence in our capabilities as one a content provider and a consumer products team um, that we would absolutely take on any really key idea um, that we believed in and that we know that either the, the creator or the producers are very passionate about and we can get that engagement from them and I think you know the point was made early when we look at new content um, whether it's whether it's an app or whether it's a TV show, whatever it might be, how far can that scale from a licensing and consumer products point of view? Um, because to to invest in something, then we need to understand that the scalability will be there across a number of categories. And licensing is not just about toys. I think you know, everyone tends to gravitate to licensing being about toys, but it's not. It's much further beyond that. So we would always look at it and say, okay, can we take this across um, a number of different categories and actually would the longevity be there for us to invest in it across a long longer term period because whilst there are definitely hits out there whether they're you know apps or tv shows or movies we want to build for the long term and mm. um, whether that's with our retail partners and with our licensees so there is some kind of, of um, payback and reward for everybody that's involved in the program mm. so, i mean because natasha you, you've been involved in representing some digital properties and you must yeah. have faced that same dilemma in thinking where are we going to get these placed at retail <laughs> It, 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 I think digital is quite uh, can be quite tricky. Well, I mean, all areas are, but 
there's been certain hits in digital. Um, when you look at um, what Mind Candy did with Moshi, and we, you know, areas we've already discussed. I mean, I worked on a property, Subway Surfers, that had 650 million downloads. So statistically, you think, wow, what amazing statistics. But it didn't sell at retail. Mm. Um, we, we secured licensees, there was, there was excitement, but it didn't, it didn't work and it didn't sell through. So it's still very difficult to judge, I think, on the, on the digital side because there's not the, the history that, and the experience that we all have um, with the from content from TV. Mm. So it's still, um, there's still a lot to learn on developing digitally. Um, but again, you know, as we've, as we've said, it, it is very much about content and also about visibility. Um, I think it's... It's, we still have a lot to learn <laughs> in our industry. Rachel, on. You, so you want to say something? Rachel? Yeah, I was going to say, I, th I think Natasha's exactly right, but it, it's all, that formula doesn't always work on film either or mm -hmm. even the known platforms. You, you can generate a huge box office and still not really sell much in the way of product. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Harry Potter, you name it. You know, how much stuff did you, how much stuff did you do outside of book or outside of DVD? You know, there's, there's a huge amount of these properties out there that are awesome films and they should be left there or awesome books and they should be left mm. there and I think some of our job is also knowing when to say yeah that's where it should be mm. not what else can it go on mm. there's yeah, sometimes there's a cut and I, guess, and I guess that's sort of not new in a way because we you're going back through you know if you can possibly imagine as far back as when I was a child I mean everybody watched things like Blue Peter and I don't remember a um, huge licensing problem with Blue Peter despite having probably 12 million people watching it every we had annuals we had annuals that was about annuals. the only yeah. thing I ever really remember from yeah. Yeah. Blue Peter Grange Hill is probably another you know, iconic children's mm. programme of the 1980s that never really drove any licensing contest so why well, why not though why why couldn't we get anything to work on I, I, like didn't want to go on yeah. yeah she wasn't happy yeah. gripper stepson didn't want yeah. t-shirts yeah. that's <laughs> where it all went the gripper stepson yeah, yeah. flick knife <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so, all the ones you've touched as well are live action and that that often can be um certainly a, a challenge because um, translating anything from a live action into merchandise is, is tricky for a whole host of reasons. Mm. Um, and, I mean, we did, we did a, um, a co-production with Daryl McQueen, uh, and that's been uh, Topsy and Tim, which is based on the really successful books that we've published. Um, live action, preschool show for CBBS, brilliant ratings, always on the top ten iPlayer, absolutely fabulous, kids love it couldn't do consumer products on it at all really really difficult and i think to your point it was just very much actually it works as books and it works as a really great tv show and that's where it stops because i think if you try and force it all you end up doing is actually damaging your you know the goodwill you've built up in your original content if you consumers all know when you're trying to stretch it too thin they really really do i think you've got to remember a license has to fit to a consumer so when you're you're thinking about how big your brand could be it's not just about how big your brand could be it's about where does it live to a customer in their world so where does it live you know you're not up necessarily for something like mm. Topsy and Tim you're not up against another Topsy and Tim you're up against share of pound or share of purse for a paddling pool yeah. for clothing <laughs> for school uniforms for that think about it as a customer thinks mm. about it and where that stretches or is it own label or is it mm. you're not always balancing license for license no, clear, clearly not. In fact, and that's a very important point because um, the public doesn't necessarily think about... They never use this word licensing or license. They'll just go into your store, they see merchandise, 
some of it happens to have a connection maybe to an app that they like or a TV show that they like, but a lot of the stuff in the store isn't connected to an app or a TV show they like. So at that point, they're making a choice just across the whole range, aren't they? It's not, not necessarily, as you say, you're not necessarily competing with Disney with a Nickelodeon product. You're, you're competing with products. Yeah, no, it's the stuff. same on TV. You, you, you know, you're not just competing with each other's channels. You're competing with the playground and the back garden and the football pitch. And the, you know, you're competing for share of time not just share of eyeballs, you know, on that platform. You've got to think think like a customer thinks. You know, it's not about one versus the other or one platform versus the other. It's about time and how they want to consume. In that context, then, Rachel, I mean, when, when an agent comes to you with something for the very first time, so it's a new property, maybe even a new agent you haven't spoken to before, mm-hmm. um, what are you looking for them to say to you about this new property that will convince you that the, the consumer products based on it be worth stocking? I don't think I'm quite principled about the fact that I don't look for a rule book. I'm not looking mm-hmm. for a formula. I don't, no two licenses are the same, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be. You know, whether that's an adult-themed brand or whether that's a preschool property or a sports brand, you know, the licenses always <coughs> be very different, and its route to market and its interaction with the customer will be different. All I'm looking for is that it's been thought through, the content is, is solid, it has traction with the customer base, the product that comes there off it is quality based um, and can offer value to the end customer and it can have a place in the execution you're trying to land. So I'm not looking for a formula, I'm not looking for a tick box if you must cover this, this, this and that. Is there anything you would tell people to avoid then? The opposite, something that to avoid? Yeah, please don't label slap. Yeah. Please don't just have a really hot brand and shove it on anything you can. <laughs> Please think it through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you, you get properties like that sometimes. Yes. And, and you know what, like I don't knock it. Sometimes it does a job. But mm-hmm. you know, try not to just shove your logo on anything. You know, think about how customers want to buy it, when they want to buy it. You know, make sure it lives in that architectural world. Yeah. That's good, but and also that it's true to the content that it's originated for. So, yeah. because that's what the audience is seeing, whether it's through an app or whether mm-hmm. it's a TV show or whether it's a movie, they're recognising that and they want to see that innovative in the product, not just as a. Yeah. Like, but as the brand owners, that's partly a responsibility that yeah. we have as well yeah. to make sure that's the case. Yeah. But I think also as well, it's 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 what as you say, sometimes that stuff does have its place. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference between what's hot and you need to get in store right now, which may unfortunately ha- involve that. But it's also, mm-hmm. don't definitely don't do that if you've got a heritage brand you want to last for a long time because mm-hmm. that is a sure, you know, the, the kiss of death to it lasting for more than five seconds. And I think that's true when you're trying to build a brand and keep a heritage property. It's, it's also about not, and also not doing everything at once yeah. is the thing I would say, is don't rush out and think it's got to be on everything at once if you're trying to build a programme over five, 10, mm-hmm. 15 years because you will run out of content very quickly, think how you do that as well. That's the point, I mean, you know, if something's fast burning, I would advise somebody to say, fill your boots while you can, yeah. to be yeah, fair, yeah. because, you know, yeah. you, you know, you might be gone again in six months, and the next thing will be along, and you'll look back at that moment and think, crikey, why didn't I... Now, that's a, that's a know, very you know, interesting point, yeah. isn't it, Robert? Because we've all spoken to licensors, licensing agents who've laid out a careful seven-year strategy for the growth <laughs> of a licensing programme. <laughs> And you do tend to worry that, uh, and that, that, of course, sometimes does kill some retail opportunities, particularly, mm. uh, you know, a classic wave. So, we're, well, we're only going to be in Harrods for the first six months. <laughs> yeah. Then we'll add Selfridges, yeah. and Harvey Nichols the second year, and they're not going to get to Ashland yeah. until the 22nd century. Yeah. Sort of, you know, and, and yeah, that's, that's the dream. <laughs> 
<laughs> but one, but they, they, we're all having a laugh at that. But at one time, that would have been regarded as like yeah. a carefully yeah. controlled license. Would it not? It would, would have, wouldn't it's, it? It's kind of horses for courses. I, I, I don't think people get upset if they buy a Shaun the Sheep yo-yo and then they're not going to go out and buy our, our, our sort of feature plush or our most interactive, wonderfully thought through product. Because it's in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. We, you know, the same. I think Marianne, we both got um, rides at Blackpool Pleasure we Beach, do, yeah. and you need to sell them a Shaun the Sheep pencil and a Shaun the Sheep logo, or a SpongeBob mm -hmm. pencil and a SpongeBob, because yeah. that's what they're buying. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to buy. I don't think kids will get upset by it. But then I understand if you're on the other side of the coin, is you can't just if you if you're going to stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, then eventually it's going to something's going to give because. You know, you, you've, got to, you've got to manage your property at the same time. Mm. So I wouldn't be too snobbish about how you license product, but I would also just think of it, you know, I always think the, the best way to think about it is you want to fulfill about 90% of the demand and no more all the time. I think that's, you know, that's mm. because otherwise you're then flooding the market. If you've got more, more product than you've got demand, then that's where it becomes a problem. That's where people start thinking that your label is slapping. Mm. But actually, if, if you're always just, just about meeting demand, then you're probably in about the right place. Mm. Yeah, and don't mistake providing an impulse solution as a bad thing. That's not, you know, a pencil mm. in the right place is absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, that's not, you, you, yeah, yeah. The, that's not label slapped no. at all. That's just about providing, you know, a solution yeah. to what customers want to buy mm. at that time. You know, they're very different things. Yeah. So you don't, yeah, to Rob's point, you don't need to be snobby about it, but equally, if you're providing the right thing at the right time, at the right price, you're fine. Mm. Yes, finding the balance is obviously yeah. the tricky, mm. uh, the mm -hmm. tricky bit, um, and o opening the door to opportunity without uh, opening it so wide, as you say, that things go wrong. And in that context, and one of the uh, hits of the last, um, I guess, ten years now, I would say, but probably six years in licensing, was um, the now inf infamous Pepper Pig, of course. And I think it's right to say that. <laughs> Just say first, was Calvin. Say it was. Yeah. It was good. It was. <laughs> But I think it's true that the, the first licensed products from Pepper didn't actually mm. go into it until about year three or year four of the TV. Is that right? I think that's about right. Yeah. And do you think that so has helped? Right. Do you think that's been a help to, to Pepper's success that it, it had a, a lot of time to bed in? with consumers before they were exposed to the, the danger of buying a product based on it? But it wasn't, it wasn't the strategy of E1 when they said... Surely it was. Surely. <laughs> <laughs> they, they say that now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Had, we meant to stretch it out. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, I mean, when, the, when they started out, nobody was interested in, in Pepper when they first got Pepper on TV. So they, were, they gave away licenses to try and get product into the market. Um, and that shows the confidence. What's your master? Gave away life. <laughs> 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 what is that to say? These people want to hear why we make money out of it. <laughs> well, look, we're, we're, it never did. We, we can't deny that whether it was their, stra their strategy at the time or not, they've gone on to be you know, one of the most successful preschool brands. Um, but but they, they had to work they had to work hard at hard at that um, and work with licensees and convince them yes you know take this license we'll give it to you for a low minimum guarantee. Um, because they wanted product in the market, because they believed in it, and, it, and ultimately it, it did pay off for them. Um, but yeah, as a, as a brand as a brand owner, um, it obviously they have a bit more flexibility than if they were they were an agent three years down the line and you've not done anything, then uh, you're sacked. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I do think you raise a fair point, though, Kevin, because. 
Um, I mean, Peppa's fantastic for, for the Nickelodeon network on Nick Jr. and equally on Milkshake. It's, um, and I think there is something very strategic about allowing a brand to build on, on air if it's um, from a TV show point of view and, you know, and, and gathering the loyalty in the audience and not only for the kids but also equally from a, a parent association and getting that emotional connection um, right with them. So whilst it did take them three or four years to get there, I mean, you, you, there's no denying you know, that it's a phenomenon. It's, it's an incredibly solid business, both from a TV point of view and equally consumer products, but they've taken it beyond into recreational space now as well. And I think that's also a key part of licensing, as we were talking about earlier. It's There are multiple touch points, um, which you know, E1 and Pepper have tapped into, and equally is, you know, is part of a longer-term strategy as you're building consumer products and yeah. licensing. Absolutely. I think the interesting thing about that is everyone thinks of Pepper here as this massive powerhouse. And I think people often forget that beyond UK shores, there are certain markets where E1 have had more than one go at getting Pepper to market mm. and hasn't worked. So while we all sit here with probably a lot of people in the audience may possibly have something Pepper in their house if they have children, or maybe if not, even if we've grown up and you like Pepper. Um, and so we think of it as this massive preschool brand, but you have to remember that that isn't also translating to lots of other markets. And I think that's quite an interesting thing is that Again, it's about how your brand works outside of this market. Yeah, so maybe, you, maybe you should give them a call about Indonesia, Rob, and tip them off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to a few places with Andrew Carley. I, don't know media, but, uh, <laughs> I think the other thing with Pepper is I think it benefited a little bit from... There, there, was a, there was a phase where preschool was where it was all at and everybody was planning to preschool. I remember going to the Toy Fair... Oh, uh, must be five years ago now, I suppose. And there were like 40 or 50 new preschool brands all being launched in, into toys at the same time. And they all kind of crashed and burned, really. And at the same time, so I think then Pepper was around that time or came slightly after that time. And I think what happened then is that retailers became very risk-averse in preschool. Mm -hmm. so, they, so as opposed to trying something new, and all, you know, retailers were constantly looking for the next new thing in preschool. And then... They, 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 had, they got bitten more than once, and so Pepper were, had the shelf space, and they, they were doing good numbers, and so they've managed to retain and then build on where they are. So I think as well as, I mean, it's a great show. I love the show, and, you know, what they do with the property is brilliant, but I think they've also benefited from, you know, what is it, really is a dose of good luck at, at the, in the circumstances of the market at that time. Yeah, I certainly think you, you always need that little bit of luck, particularly in timing. Um, and I remember some years ago... Um, uh, there was a, an animated cartoon series called Biker Mike's Mars was launched. It's got back about 15 years ago now. And, and that was a hit in, in many countries um, uh, of the world. But it, it didn't work here because it was launched in exactly the same month as the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which, which just swept all before it. So in a way, you're you there, you had a really good property with clear merchandising potential. But because an even better, in inverted commas, uh, property was launched at the same time, it didn't actually get the traction off the ground. Mm. I'm just wondering, to the point you raised uh, earlier, Rachel, in, in, in this context of a preschool property like Peppa Pig, um, is that bedding in time even more important? Because, you know, you, obviously you, it's going to be parents and grandparents who are going to be handing over all the money uh, for those toys, cause the, uh, uh, for those licensed products, because the kids are all preschool. They're not even spending any money of their own. Mm -hmm. So is that better? do you think it's more important for preschool or was it, would, would, you like, would you love to have the luxury as a retailer of waiting for like a, a show to be around for a year to give it a chance to bed in with its audience before you were putting things on shelf? I'd rather a glass ball instead. You know, <laughs> just tell me. Um, I do, yeah, again, I don't think it's a formula. I think some things fly. They take off, they capture imagination really quickly. 
other things. You know, Ben 10 was knocking around on TV content for two years before that really took off. Um, some things need time to go around the playground and become a craze. Some things need time for mums and grandparents to get their heads around it or dads. Um, some things need take time to embed themselves in you know, kids' play pattern. It can, I don't think there's a formula necessarily. I think you know, Pepper had a multitude of strengths. And actually, quite a number of the Ardman properties have exactly the same. It's gender neutral. It's delivered in short, sharp bursts, which mm. a two- or three-year-old can manage. You know, it's, it's 2D animation, which is very different to what we're used to when you look at CGI and everything else. But, it's, you know, it's a formula for them that certainly works and works in that market. So whether that was a year or three years, I don't think there's a formula necessarily. Yeah. I think it's just about recognising when it's starting to capture and move with it. Well, I guess there are always rules until somebody breaks the rules. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a friend of mine who's involved in a greetings card business told me that you could never sell greetings cards with pigs on them <laughs> um, because there's a sort of implication that the person you're send, sending the card to has got some connotations of porcine qualities, I think, mean, <laughs> the technical terms. But, but I've got plenty of greetings cards sold with Peppa, Peppa Pig on, or even Daddy Pig on, Mummy Pig now, for instance, and that's quite over that. I might have used that within my Father's Day proposition. <laughs> um, not going to lie, it worked. <laughs> Don't know what the UK nation want to say about their dads, but um, kids want to pick something for their dad that, you know, they like. That's yeah. right. But talking about um, things that work in some markets and not the others, again, one of the biggest properties in the UK in the last 10 years has been Moshi Monsters. It's now on its natural decline in its uh, life cycle, of course. But again, it, interestingly, that didn't work in the United States mm. at all. And um, I was asking some uh, people for their opinion of that, and they said to me the reason why is that American parents will only let their children have access to kids-focused websites if they are educational. Now, I found that a very mm -hmm. surprising remark, and I wasn't entirely convinced about it. What, what do you guys think about that? It's a fairly broad brush mm -hmm. for an entire yeah. nation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's a rather huge <laughs> population, yeah, yeah. though, <laughs> 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 being generalised. I, I, I think there's always, I mean, a lot of, I mean, not so much now, but, but certainly a lot of um, kids' content, TV, I mean, you think about channels like PBS television and stuff like that, where obviously it's a very much of an educational content. Yeah. And that obviously predates channels like Nick Come Along and so on, which is more about, I always think more about you know, great entertainment content. So there might be a propensity for, you know, US parents to want it to be more, but I, I, I don't think they can lay the fact it didn't work purely on the fact that it didn't teach you how to count or say the alphabet, I think there were a myriad of reasons way beyond that why it didn't work probably. I think the US, I mean it's, it's like music isn't it, everyone wants to crack the US because yeah. that's pretty much what 60% of the, the global licensing industry is US and, um, but the problem you got I mean I think, quite more stats but Disney, I think in 2012 Disney was like 80% of the license business entertainment license business mm. was, was Disney and then you've got other powerhouses you know, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network and you know, those big entertainment companies that own channels and these kind of things so Although it's a big market, the I mean the opportunities there. Even if you're not, you know, even if you're not on Walmart, there's 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 opportunity within the market, and you can still make money out of US without anybody noticing. Um, but it's <laughs> but it's um, but you know I think I, I think that, that sounds like a bit of a. Um, you know, a bit of a cop out, yeah. I think that's the way to put it. There's no, there's no embarrassment in not making money out of the US. I mean, they say you've still got the other half of the world to, you know, the other half of the world to go after, and it is, you know, it is, a, it is the most difficult territory. No, I, I agree entirely. And in fact, I, I can recall that licensing expo when they had their because it was such a hit in the UK, and then they did their sort of official US launch, 
and they'd made the mistake of um, leaving the goodie bags for the uh, attendees outside the room before they went in. And I remember I was, I, I was one of the last people to leave the room, and the, the, literally all the goodie bags had disappeared almost before the, uh, the, uh, the, sh the, the showcase had started. So clearly the American business felt that Moshi Monsters had the potential to succeed. The people in our position, in other words, mm -hmm. did. But you know what? We were all wrong, weren't we, mm -hmm. in that sense? We were all wrong. And that's, but we can't predict, right? So a lot of our industry is decisions being made by adults mm -hmm. about a market that we don't play in. Yeah. We don't interact with those brands in the way our end consumer does. You know, how many times have you, you know, look at the, some of the fad markets, loom bands, go-go's, mm. you name it, yeah. whatever you want. Not one of those things made sense to any of us. <laughs> and we can lie, but we, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Multicoloured elastic bands last summer, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Whichever planet you were on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Then, yeah, then you get older and you kind of go, quite get it. Yeah. Right, okay. There's no wraps around your fingers and you can't move. Yeah, exactly. There are some things you'll, you know, go-go, go-go crazy bones, they were plastic pieces of things that didn't do anything. Yeah. To a grown-up, that doesn't make sense. Kids love them. To kids love it. Yeah. Like, mm. So sometimes the industry's not always going to get it right and it's the test is whether it captures the imagination of your audience whether that's a child or actually an adult on gifted market whatever that mm. needs to be if it captures the audience you're not going to go far wrong mm. yeah in fact GoGo's yeah. itself is an interesting example from from two of the points that mm -hmm. the panel's been raising one is that that was around for a long time mm -hmm. before it was a hit. It was, a, as Rob said, it was one of those things that were actually modestly successful, mm -hmm. but nobody really knew about it because it didn't get above the parapet, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then whenever it suddenly became the hottest playground collectible, and, and mm -hmm. the company behind it had stuck with it for mm -hmm. 10 years, mm -hmm. doing okay, but mm -hmm. not doing anything uh, amazing. Um, so the longevity factor and also the willingness, which again, what some of you have said, to, to have faith in your own creations, mm -hmm. in the way that you, if you launch, but they, they were launching a toy, it wasn't based on any other media, it was a toy, but they, they stuck with it, they marketed it, they revised it, and eventually they got the formula right. But maybe just the time was right for it. Sometimes mm -hmm. yeah. your, your timing is wrong, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't. I mean, because you, you've made uh, Ninja Turtles a huge success this time around. The last attempt to revive it, which I guess about 10 years before, mm didn't have anything like the same level of cut-through there. So, uh, obviously, Nickelodeon is an absolutely brilliant television company, so that's probably the, reason, the main reason why it worked. But were there <laughs> other reasons? Was it too early to bring it back before? Or I, I, I think to Rachel's point, you know, there's, no, there's no formula, really. Yeah, I think it probably could have been a little bit too early then. I think there was a prime movie as well back then. So there was a lot of the, the history that perhaps that hadn't quite had enough time pass for it to be brought back. And I think what Nickelodeon did with it and still continue to do with it is invest in it. And I think they, they never ignored the, the, uh, the original fans and the hardcore fans that were actually talked to that audience first time round, uh, sorry, um, this time round when we launched Turtles because they were very key to kind of setting it up for success and you know um, that audience then have got kids of their own so it's now able to talk to both the adult who are now parents and the kids um, and then invest in it across multiple levels, multiple demographics and all areas of our business which perhaps back then, 10 years ago, that wasn't available partly because the world has moved on so digital is now available and, and it probably wasn't so much then um, and that's allowed us to kind of connect the dots very nicely and and make it a success that it is today. The other interesting part about reviving a, uh, a, a children's brand like Ninja Turtles as well is that and you guys will know this from the moment you start thinking about doing it that you will get a lot of attack from fans of the original mm. who are basically cursing the day that anybody <coughs> dared to touch their cherished IP that they loved. Yes. Um, but is that probably good news in the end because it's on the sort of no news is 
bad news sort of uh, principle that it's, it's the sparky controversy actually refocuses attention on what you're trying to do. Yeah, it depends, though, don't you? I mean, it, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. I think if you try and if you, you you've got to actually set your stall out about whether you're moving it on and this is a brand new thing, or whether you're rebooting or reinventing. And I think if that's the thing, and you're you're talking to your existing fan base from back in the day, who you're going to be your evangelical supporters, you've got to remember you you've got to hook in something that they still love about it you can't just create something brand new and they say oh but you loved it and I know it looks like nothing like the thing you did before but surely you're going to be a you know our sort of evangelist movement and I don't think that works I think you've got to Mm. You've got to be really careful about how you do that. Yeah, we've got a couple of those coming up this year. We obviously Thunderbirds has recently launched yeah. again yeah. to similar appeals yeah. by the, the classic Thunderbird fans that liking it. Mm-hmm. Danger Mouse is is just mm-hmm. around the corner. They're going to be in, in exactly the same situation like with big classic fan bases mm-hmm. with their own children or yeah. grandchildren, whatever it be, depending on how old the show is. I think my kids. If if I showed them Thunderbirds from the whenever it was originally, <laughs> they say, "What on earth is this, Dad? I'm not watching that. It's, it's rubbish. rubbish." You know, but obviously because they, they, it's just, you know, why would you present them something like that? But I mean, if you look at Thunderbirds, the storylines are brilliant, and the the concept of the show is so much fun. Okay, so they've made it CGI, you know, but it's and. You know, the great thing is, I think you can you can double license it because you can have a classic, you can have your classic, and then you can have your new, can't you? So it's. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. what we should be to rabbit. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brilliant. That's exactly what I was going to say actually about Turnus. Is Nickelodeon were never um, never complicated who the audience was. Mm. So there is a product stream or. A, developed for that core audience there is mutations and there's younger product for that younger new they didn't try and merge or two because the customer isn't that yeah. same <coughs> person and we kept okay. the creative look and feel mm-hmm. exactly to that so the retro look is there for that fan audience mm-hmm. and you know the older audience the core animation is there for the, the young kids we've got a movie look and feel mm-hmm. now so I think we're very clear about the demographic appeal that the turtles have mm-hmm. and actually created assets to support that bringing it to market that's what I mean that when we made Peter Rabbit that was that was a that was a bit of an issue because there were lots of people who thought we were going to turn him into some kind of superhero and he was going to have a cape <laughs> and it was all going to be CGI and horrible and Three, yeah. yeah we were waiting yeah we were waiting for the protesters at the gates it was all a bit like that and then um, one of the things that one of the things that we did was very much separate that out so classic is very soft it's really around the original books it's for nursery gift giving and then the animation is aimed at that preschool audience who are watching it on CBBS but we were also quite clear when we we did the TV um, with, with Nick actually that it had to still have some authenticity and we were really lucky that brown bag who we did our production at Copro with um, they sent a team of their people to literally go and photograph the Lake District and everybody there's thousands of photos you can actually walk to the place where the borough is because they wanted it to be so authentic which then we didn't have the protests at the gates because when they saw it with their arms folded, they went, oh, actually, that's quite good, isn't it? Really, and quite authentic. So they were a bit cross Spoiled, about that. Point. Spoiled their day. Spoiled their day, we did. We've only got a few minutes left, so I just wanted to ask you about one other uh, aspect then. In, we, we've talked about um, there, isn't, there isn't a formula uh, that we need to have you know, good content that, that grabs the attention of uh, the market. Uh, and we've been talking, as we should at this conference, about fact that this is all based on children's products based on children's media um i think it's the case though that finally it's become respectable for adults to buy uh, merchandise based on tv shows and media that they like 
uh, you know, in, notably, um, the merchandise range for Fifty Shades of Grey won a <laughs> Lima Award this year. I think so, so much was the volume sold uh, of those products. And, you know, slightly, slightly, slightly less controversy, things like Game of Thrones. And Down, Downton Abbey is an absolutely monster hit in licensing, particularly in the United States. Do you think that that very respectability will actually help the children's media licensing business? Because... It, it, would it finally remove from once and for all this idea that merchandise is somehow exploitative of children? The TV show isn't exploitative, but the merchandise based on it is exploitative, which is what some consumer pressure groups would still hold. Will that help, or is it just an accident of the time? What do you think, Rachel? I think people have become... I'm, I'm trying to be careful. <laughs> I think people have are less caring of what the stigma allegedly is. People have their own opinion nowadays. I think the British public are happy, a little happier in their own skin to make their own decisions and they don't need somebody to justify that it's okay to buy those products. And it's about, you know, if it resonates with a customer, just buy it, you know, or don't buy it. It's up to you. You know, it's a free world. We're okay with that. And I don't think you need an endorsement as much as perhaps older generations might have needed. Mm. I would also think if you look at um, properties like Minions and even Frozen where they're right from the very outset they have captured an adult audience for licensing mm -hmm. immediately um, whether it's um, female, male, kids alike even infants, that broad spectrum already exists. And even turtles as well, yeah. to that plays in all of those different adult and kids' demographics. So I think that has helped significantly as well, support you know, the, the children's space, because we're actually creating brands these days that very from the outset actually appeal to the adult audience too. Mm. Thank you. Well, we're just about out of time, so I just wanted to make sure everybody knows that if you want to ask our speakers any questions or discuss the projects and work that you're doing in a licensing context, you can meet them in the mezzanine at the workstation uh, from 2 o'clock, I think it is. So plenty to, to do that. So all that remains to do is thank our speakers today. Thank you for coming. <laughs>